Enter your password. Password incorrect. Forgot your password. Please answer the security questions. What was your mother's maiden name? What was the name of your first pet? In what city were you born? How do you gain access to God? Too many failed login attempts. Your account has been blocked. Contact your system administrator. Connection lost. Well, hello, Mountain. Uh, it's good to be with you today. Hello, yeah. Uh, my name is Ethan Magnus. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, boy, if you're a guest with us today, we are so glad that you're here. Just welcome to you. Uh, I want to say hello also to the Edgewood campus and to the Bel Air campus. The Bel Air campus is five years old today. It's their birthday. So, woo, yeah. Isn't that fun? Um, it feels like yesterday, but it's not. It's uh, five years ago. And so they're having a big party over there today. And so if you've never been over there, maybe you should go wish them happy fifth birthday over the next couple months. That's an exciting thing for them. That campus is growing and thriving and just, a, just an exciting place to be. So we're excited about that. One week out till Easter. Uh, I hope you've been preparing for Easter. Maybe you've been doing uh, the prayer exercise that we've been doing the last 40 days here, uh, just reading through Luke and joining in that prayer, letting learning how to pray from Jesus. Maybe you've been doing that. Uh, maybe you've been preparing for Easter. One of the, really, I know it sounds crazy, one of the most important ways I want to prepare for Easter is by telling other people to prepare for Easter. So maybe you picked up one of these cards. Uh, you'll hear more about this later, and you're inviting people to the Disillusion series that kicks off on Easter Sunday, uh, you have people in your life who are right now under illusions, things they think are true but aren't, and they need to know the truth, they need to be disillusioned uh, in a good way. And so maybe you'll uh, take an opportunity to do that uh, over the next week, invite somebody. Uh, another way, uh, you'll hear more about this later, but a great way your family can prepare for Easter is to host an Easter party. We got these bags, it's got eggs and stuff in it, I don't know what all's in it. Stop by the children's ministry desk. Uh, we've got to have about 200 families that have already said, we're going to host an Easter party for our neighbors uh, to just tell them we love them, let them know about Easter services, and let them know about Jesus. But we've got about 200 more packets because we want everybody who can to do this. So stop by the children's ministry desk and get information about that. But the most important way, uh, this year, we hope you're preparing for Easter, and I hope I've been preparing for Easter, and I'm trying to prepare for Easter, is by spending our time, this time in prayer. That's what we've been talking about, this whole series, Password series. We're just talking about the reality that we want access to God. I don't know how often you're aware of that reality. What I've figured out is even when I'm not aware of it, it's true. But sometimes I'm so, I just want deeper access to God. I want to be able to connect with someone who made me and cares about me, who, who has the power to actually deal with the things that are going on in my life. I want access. I want the same kind of access Jesus had. That's why we've looked at this verse from Luke chapter 11 so many times. One day, just one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place somewhere, you know, just one of those days Jesus was praying. And his disciples saw it, and when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, like John taught his disciples. What they're saying is the thing that all of us feel, Lord, we want access like you've got access. 
On our bad days, we want to know that God's listening. On our good days, we want to know that God's celebrating. When we're lost, we want God to guide us. We want access like you've got. And Jesus, of course, that was the very thing Jesus wanted for them. And so Jesus said, great, here, here, this is how you pray. And he taught them, and we've been learning from his words. Uh, Like we have each week, we're going to pray together those words and let him teach us how to pray. Would you please stand with me? And we're going to pray these words from Jesus together. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us today the bread that we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And keep us safe from temptation to sin. And deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated. Well, those are good words to pray, aren't they? And you, I, I, I feel like I'm learning from Jesus every time I pray them. But what we've discovered is they're not just the words we repeat in prayer, they're also the model for our prayer. Jesus wanted us not to just learn a prayer, He wanted us to learn about prayer. So that's what we've done, right? We looked at that first line, Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. And we discovered that when we approach prayer, we approach a daddy who loves us and a God who is holy all at the same time. We looked at that line about your kingdom come, your will be done. We learned that in our prayer, we begin to align our will with God's will. We bring those into alignment in prayer. We looked at the line, give us this day our daily bread. We discovered that God cares about our needs. God wants us to ask. God wants to know when we're hungry, when we're thirsty, when we're tired, when we're scared, we're alone. And God plans to meet our real needs in the real moment. We looked about the call where Jesus says, pray, Father, forgive us and forgive them. And we discover that prayer still is the place we bring our repentance to God. But also, prayer is the place where God meets us with those things everybody else has done that we need to release and forgive. We learned that in prayer, we can go to God for guidance, saying, God, lead me. And in prayer, we can go to God for deliverance, saying, God, Deliver me. The Lord's Prayer is so much more than something we repeat. It's the model for our own interaction, our own conversation with God. And that's still true, even right here at the end. You might be tempted to think that this ending part, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, it's just some sort of flourish, just so it sounds good and official at the end. There was this great song version of the Lord's Prayer I used to love, and at the end, they don't let me sing around here, but it went something like, for thine is the kingdom, and that's why they don't let me sing. But anyways, it was big and loud, and, and you might think that that's all this is, right? It's just a great big loud ending to the prayer. But no, just like every other line, when we dial in, when we slow down and let Jesus teach us, 
we discover a truth about prayer that might fundamentally change how you pray. In fact, we discover a truth about prayer that might fundamentally change how you live. What we discover about prayer, and consequently about life, is that prayer is about God. Now maybe that doesn't seem so big or whatever, but I'll be honest, when I come to God in prayer, I don't usually come because it's about God. I usually show up to prayer because it's about me and my needs and my agenda. And I usually come hoping that God will bring God's power, but God will let it be about my agenda. God will bring God's strength, but let it be about my desires. God will bring God's godness, but we'll let it stay about my kingdom and my glory. But Jesus says it simply doesn't work that way. When we go to God for God's power, but our agenda, we're treating God like the you know, giant holy gumball machine in the sky, hoping we pull the lever just right and the gumball we wanted will pop out. But Jesus says, God is not a gumball machine. That's not a direct quote. I'm saying he didn't exactly say that. But, but that's what he's teaching us, is that God is not a gumball machine. Prayer is not about how do we leverage God for us. Prayer is about how do we release our leverage on God and let God direct us. Jesus is teaching us that our prayer should embody the truth of the old proverb that says there is a way that seems right, that appears to be right. It looks right, but in the end, it leads to death. Man, I hate that proverb. Nothing in me likes that proverb, but everything in me ultimately has to admit that it's true. I mean, this happens to us all the time, right? We see something, and boy, does it look good, or boy, does it look right. We're just sure this time it'll work out, and then it doesn't. It's a failure and a flop, just like the last great idea. Our plans end in disaster. Our sins, they look to us so right yet they lead us astray. We, we gain power and we're like, this is good and I'm going to use it for good and yet our use of power gets twisted for evil time and time again. Ultimately, we discover that however much we might wish it wasn't true, we can't even trust our own plans, no matter how right they look, and be certain they won't lead us to death. And Jesus is calling us to have our prayer reflect this truth. But if you're anything like me, it very often doesn't. I sometimes show up to God with an agenda so crammed full, I'm out of breath by the time I've said all the stuff I need to say to God. And after a while, I realize I haven't really been praying. I've just been hoping in God's general direction. Because real prayer, Jesus teaches us, real prayer ultimately circles back to God's kingdom and God's glory and God's power. But what I bring to prayer is so often nothing like that. And I don't know, I look around and I become convinced I can't be the only one. I mean, be honest. 
at least with yourself, for a second. Think of how much of your energy is spent building your little kingdom. Think of how much of my energy, if only you knew, is spent building my little kingdom. Think of, think of the, the, the chaos in our world and how much of it starts with somebody somewhere, some group somewhere, building their little kingdom. And the people next door to them building their little kingdom. And pretty soon the two start to meet. And we've got a problem. Think of how much energy we spend seeking after our power. Think of how much energy you spend seeking after power, and I spend seeking after power. And, and, and we know how this goes, right? Pretty soon your pursuit of power and my pursuit of power are, are in conflict. We call it a power struggle. Not a very creative name, but that's what it is, right? You want power and I want power. And pretty soon our whole world is in chaos because we're seeking our own power. And glory, glory, our world has gone crazy seeking glory think of all the people who would give up their kingdom and give up their power just for a 15 minutes of fame and then we look and we look at the chaos it's almost a cliche win the lottery your life goes to shambles get world famous your life ends in chaos gain just a little bit of kingdom and pretty soon you're at war with the kingdom next door and yet and yet we go to prayer saying, God, would you help me with my kingdom? Would you give me a bit more glory? Would you increase my power? And Jesus teaches us, no, God's is the kingdom. God's is the power. God's is the glory. And all that energy I spend and you spend seeking our own kingdom, our own power, our own glory. Well, it doesn't matter how much you talk to God about it, that's not prayer. Because prayer is about God, not us. I'll be honest, I hope that I always am, but I will particularly right now. When I hear that, my first instinct is that that's bad news. My first encounter with the truth that prayer is about God's kingdom, God's power, and God's glory, and not about Ethan's kingdom, Ethan's power, and Ethan's glory. My first instinct is that that's bad news. And that might be your first instinct too. Really? You, you brought us in here just to tell us it's not about us, it's about God? But I kind of need it to be about me today. Or, and I get that feeling. But when we feel that way... What it means is, we have forgotten who God is. See, here's the thing. When God gets what God wants in the world, that will be the best day you could ever imagine. You see, when God's kingdom is built, there is a place for you better than any kingdom you could build on your own. When God's power is at work in the world, you are experiencing love and security more than you ever could under your own power because when God's power is exercised, it is the power of love. And when God's glory is magnified, you who are a part of God's people 
will receive glory more than you ever could attain, chasing after it yourself. This is the paradox that we have to understand if we're going to understand the very nature of prayer and the very nature of our lives. This is what Isaiah was trying to explain to the people in Isaiah chapter 55. Listen to the way he says it. He says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord. And he will have mercy on them to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. God's ways are not our ways, Isaiah says, and that's good news. Isaiah says to the wicked, wicked, give up your ways, your kingdom, your power, your glory. Just give that up and receive what God has for you. It's better than what you were going to get on your own. To the fool, the unrighteous, he says, give up your thoughts and receive what God has for you. Give up your kingdom, your power, your glory, because what God has for you is better than what you would have attained on your own. This thing that seems like bad news is really the best news. I, I was thinking of how to illustrate this. I've got kids. Some of you have kids. Some of you are kids. And one of the, one of the classic struggles between parents and kids is when a parent says, do something this way. And the kid says, no, I want to do it this way. And kids, you don't know this, but parents, now sometimes we lose it, but let's imagine we keep our cool and we kind of handle it well. Inside, what we're saying is, you have got to be kidding me. I've been living here like 40 more years than you. Do it, I'm telling you, do it this way. This is the actual way you do it. And you think you're all creative, but you're not. There is a way that seems right to a 10-year-old that leads to foolishness, right? Okay, so this is the thing, right? And that's what God is saying to us here. I mean, it, it isn't that your ways are bad or wrong or whatever. I mean, they are, of course, but that isn't the main point. The, the point is that there is a way that leads to life. There is a kingdom prepared for you. It isn't the one you plan on building. There is power that is yours to share. It isn't your power. It's God's power, but it's, there is glory for you to experience. It just turns out it's not the glory you were seeking. There's, there's the good news, but it sort of tastes bitter in that moment. We have to let go what you were seeking. But you know, Jesus just can't stop talking about this. He, he has like probably five or six parables that are all about how if we seek our own way, we end up with nothing. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is about how striving after a kingdom, striving after glory, striving after power leads us with nothing. Meaningless, he says. All is meaningless. And the Bible's equally clear about the flip side. Jesus says, I love this, he's been talking about all the things we worry about and all the things we want in life. And at the end of it all, he says this, seek first the kingdom and all this will be added to you as well. You focus on God's kingdom, God's glory, God's power, God will take care of the rest. Paul one time is talking about how in our lives we strive after so much that when we die, it'll be gone, it'll be nothing, it won't even matter, it might not even matter throughout our lifetime. And then he says, but yet, those 
who labor in the Lord, their labor is not in vain. You see, this is why we need the last line of this prayer. It isn't just so our prayer will be aligned correctly. It's so that our lives will be aligned correctly. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Everything, everything in me says, no, 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 my kingdom, my power, my glory. Except for the voice of God, which calls me in a different direction. We've said about this series, it's not just a series about prayer. It's a series of prayer. A series where we're actually trying to pray. I would just offer to you a prayer practice that Christians have been using for thousands of years. As Christians do, when we do something long enough, we give it a fancy name. We've given this one a fancy name too. The, the fancy name we've given, given it is relinquishment. But if you want a regular name, you could just call it a prayer of letting go. A prayer of letting go. What that means is that we're trusting what Jesus teaches us about prayer to live our lives and to pray our prayers in such a way that when we notice that we've been building a little kingdom over here, we've been trying to gain power over here, we've been seeking glory over here, we just give that back to God. A, a practice that's been really helpful to me in order to keep my life oriented toward God's kingdom and God's power and God's glory is to use some words from Jesus, words we'll encounter in just a minute, and I'll just sit and uh, I usually I'll kind of set my hands like this, open. And I'll just say, into your hands, I commit my kingdom. Whatever it might be. Maybe it's your family, or your future, or your business, or your home. Into your hands, I commit my kingdom. Whatever kingdom you were trying to build. Into your hands, I commit my power. I don't know what power you've been trying to gain. Maybe it's wealth. You know money, right? Nobody likes money. We want the power and security money brings. And we grasp after it. And so maybe we need to say, into your hands I commit my wealth, my power, my status. Into your hands, Lord, I commit my glory. The glory I was seeking from others, my fame, my friendships, my Twitter followers. Into your hands, I commit my glory. Maybe you need to say it more than once. Sometimes I kind of like to actually move my arms like I'm handing it to God. And sometimes I find that I kind of start to take it back and I have to do it again. But then when I've really done it, I'll just seal that time of prayer with the words Jesus gave me. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever. We'll have a chance to pray like that together in a minute. Because what Jesus is teaching us is that at the end of our prayer, at the foundation of our prayer, is a decision to entrust our kingdom into God's kingdom. Our power into God's power. Our glory into God's glory forever. Amen. That's what we're learning about prayer. I was reading about this prayer this week. I uh, read an article by a guy named N.T. Wright, smart guy. 
he observed something about the Lord's Prayer that I'd never noticed before. Uh, not only, of course, you know, does it teach us, give us a prayer we can pray, and it teaches us about the nature of prayer as we've been learning and discussing. He observed that it also, it, it's almost an outline for Jesus' life. He, he observed Jesus didn't just pray the Lord's Prayer and teach the Lord's Prayer. He lived the Lord's Prayer. I mean, you can go all the way through it. He says, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Well, that's why Jesus came, because God was a loving Father who was holy and separate from us, so he sent Jesus that that relationship could be restored. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Well, that's what Jesus did. The, the first day he started his preaching ministry, his first announcement, the kingdom of heaven is here. And the thing that made Jesus so remarkable is that he did on earth God's will just like it was being done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, isn't that what Jesus did? He walked around feeding people and healing people, responding to their real needs, embodying a God who would listen to a prayer like that. Forgive and be forgiven. Well, that's what Jesus did. Jesus called us, caused a scandal practically in every town he entered because he forgave people's sins. And he caused a scandal because he told people to forgive other people's sins. Peter was like, that's seven times, right? And Jesus was like, no, seven times 70, at least until you lose count. You know, this was Jesus, right? This is what Jesus did. Lead us not into temptation. Well, Jesus didn't just pray that. He lived that. Jesus' favorite moral instruction was not some new rule and regulation. It was, you, follow me. You, you back there, follow me, and I'll lead you. Deliver us from evil. Jesus didn't just pray it and preach it. He lived it. He said to his disciples one time, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. These weren't just prayers for Jesus. This was a way of life. And it turns out, it didn't just stop with those phrases. It went all the way to the final phrase, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. Here we are, one week before Easter. We call this week Holy Week. It's the week where we move from the Hosannas of Palm Sunday, that's today, all the way to the He is Alive of Easter, that's next week. We move all the way from, to, from blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord all the way to crucify Him. It was a pretty busy week for Jesus and I really think one of the most important ways we can understand what was happening in this week is to recognize that in this week, Jesus didn't just pray, yours is the kingdom, power, and glory. Jesus lived it. You'll see what I mean. The week started out pretty good. Maybe you know the story, but if you don't, I'll tell it to you. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem for the Passover, and he had him get a young donkey for him to ride in on. Because he wanted to enact a prophecy fulfillment. And everybody there knew exactly what was happening. They called out, they quoted Zechariah 9, 9 in Matthew 21. See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the people knew what Jesus was doing. 
They knew he was saying he was the Messiah that Zechariah prophesied. And they shouted out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that's the way to enter a city, right? And they threw down branches to make a carpet for him to ride in on. When they ran out of branches, they took off their coats and laid them out for this donkey to walk across. You've got to be pretty excited to want a donkey to walk on your coat, right? That takes a good day. And they call out to Jesus, Hosanna, save us. Pretty good start to the week. But just beneath the Hosannas, there was something lurking. Because they had some very clear expectations for their Messiah. They knew who they thought Zechariah was prophesying. They wanted a Messiah who would give them power, who would give them glory, and most importantly would take up the sword, drive out the Romans, and give them a kingdom. That's what they wanted. But they didn't know Jesus' prayer. And very soon, the conflict will start because Jesus wasn't there for their glory or their power. And he certainly wasn't there for their kingdom. He was there for God's. In fact, the honeymoon doesn't even last but a morning. There's trouble that afternoon when Jesus goes to the temple. He shows up. It was just a regular day in the temple. The money changers were there exchanging Roman currency for the temple currency so people could give their offerings. The, the animal sellers were there selling doves and goats and pigeons so that people could offer sacrifice. And Jesus goes in and starts messing things up. He turns over the tables. He lets the animals go free. And he quotes two of their most important prophecies about the temple. He quotes Isaiah first. He says, don't you know this place is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. He says, don't you know, this place was supposed to be about God. But, and now he quotes Jeremiah 7, but you have made it a refuge for robbers. You go out and live lives that dishonor God, seeking your own kingdom, your own power, your own glory, and you think that coming back here and offering a little offering or killing a bird or shedding some blood is going to somehow get God's power behind your agenda? That isn't how it works. God's power is for God's agenda, not the little kingdoms you're building. He preaches that sermon and the leaders decide that's it. He has gone far beyond the nuisance level. He is now someone who needs to die. But Jesus wasn't done. A little later that same day, maybe, could have been the next, he has an encounter with the leaders of the city where he tells a story. He says, you know, there was this guy, owned a vineyard, and went out of town and leased the vineyard out to some vineyard keepers. And then he kept sending servants to collect his share of the proceeds. And every time he did, they would kill him. Eventually, he sent his son to collect what was due to the vineyard owner. And they said, what we'll do is we'll kill him, and then we get the vineyard for ourselves. It'll be part of our kingdom. It'll be for our power. It'll be for our glory. And Jesus asked the question, what do you think the owner of the vineyard is going to do when he comes back? And then he answers it. 
Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He says, God did not give you the temple. God did not give you his word so that you could build your own little powers, your own little glory, your own little kingdom. He gave it to you for God's sake. He, he got, Jesus got even more pointed in a different conversation. He said to the people, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. They like to have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at the banquets. He says, watch out for these people. They are not serving God. They are seeking glory, seeking power, and building a little kingdom of their own influence and reign. But Jesus, he's the one who taught us to pray. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory. And so the conflict was set up. The conflict was clear between the people who wanted a Savior who would come to give them a kingdom and give them power and give them glory and Jesus who had set His sights on serving His Father. And so knowing He was about to be betrayed and knowing His death was imminent, He gathered His disciples for a meal. One last meal they would share together. And at that meal, it was a strange meal. The food wasn't strange. The food was totally normal, exactly what they expected. But the meal was strange. It began with Jesus washing their feet, the job of the lowest servant. During their dinner conversation, Jesus told them that he was about to die and he was just going to let it happen. And at the end of the meal, Jesus let Judas the one who was going to betray him, the one who had just eaten supper with him, he just let him go to do his work of betrayal. Why would you do that? Why would Jesus do that? Well, it seems to me you could only begin a meal by washing other people's feet if you were not interested in your own power. It seems to me you could only Sit there and tell your friends you're about to die for their sake if you had no thought to your own glory. And it seems to me you could only let your betrayer walk out the door unstopped if you had made a decision a long time ago that you were not building your own kingdom. And so Jesus, after this meal, gets up with his disciples and they walk across the valley and up the hill to the garden. He asked his disciples to stop and pray, and then the text tells us, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. A little later, he prayed again, Father, if there is any other way, but not my will but yours be done. And then a third time, he prayed the same prayer. This is the result. This is the natural result of a life lived praying the Lord's Prayer. Because if you for long enough pray, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, 
and yours is the glory. If you, any one of you, if I were to take the risk to live a life rooted in the truth, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, then the day will come when God's kingdom, power, and glory are in conflict with my kingdom, power, and glory. And like Jesus, I'll have to pray, O oh Lord, if there's any other way. And then, if I really trust that the best thing for me is for God to get what God wants, then I'll pray, but not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus prayed that prayer. And soon he was arrested, and he was tried, and he was denied, and he was beaten, and he was mocked, and then he was taken back up before the crowds. The, the Hosanna crowds that had greeted him with, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, now shout, Crucify him. Let Barabbas, the murderer, thief, and rebel, go free. This part of the story had always been the most confusing part of the story to me. Why would they want Barabbas, murderer, thief, and rebel to go free? And Jesus, you know, he's Jesus. I mean, he's a, he fed them. And why would they want him to be crucified? But when I understand this last week in terms of the last line of the Lord's Prayer, it actually makes perfect sense to me. You see, Barabbas was busy working for their kingdom and their power and their glory. Now, sure, he might kill a few people from time to time, but at least he hated the Romans. At least he might help us get a little kingdom, a little power, a little glory. But not Jesus. Jesus had his chance. Jesus could have done it. And he didn't. And so they marched him up the hill and they nailed him to a cross. And as he died, a slow and painful death, he taught us how to pray one more time. And he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last and he died. That's the prayer. Into your hands I commit my. This word spirit, it's a funny word. It's a little hard to translate. The Greek word there, it's the word that just means yourself, your you, your soul, the part of you that is most you, the every part of you that is really you. Father, into your hands I commit my life myself, my who I am. That's what Jesus prayed. It was the prayer of relinquishment. Finally, once and for all, demonstrating that He would not cling to His own kingdom, His own power, and His own glory. He would entrust His whole self to God for God's purposes, knowing that when God gets what God wants, that will be the thing we will want more than we ever knew possible. And God came through, of course. Come back next week to find out just how miraculously God came through. 
But right now, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to meet Jesus. To meet Jesus in this moment. We do this every week in a meal we call communion. We meet Jesus at the table of the Last Supper. We meet the one who taught us to pray, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. We meet the one who knelt in the garden and said, not my will, but yours be done. We meet the one who hung on the cross and taught us to pray, Father, into your hands I commit my whole life. We meet Jesus. And when you meet Jesus today, I would invite you as trays and past. If you're a follower of Christ, share in the meal, bread and juice, His body and blood. But I would also invite you to meet Him with the prayer of relinquishment. There'll be enough time. Shake your shoulders a little bit. Set your hands in your lap. And let God's Spirit tell you what is the kingdom you're building. What is the power you're seeking? What is the glory you're striving after that you just need to release? Because it's a way that sure seems right, but it leads to death. And the way you need is the way of life, which is God's kingdom and God's power and God's glory. Just say it to God. Into your hands I commit my... I don't know what you need to say, but I expect you do by now. Into your hands I commit my. And then, having said that, seal it with those words he gave us. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. Amen. Let's pray together as we come to meet Jesus at the table. O oh God, in Jesus Christ, You have given us our Teacher who has taught us how to pray. And You have given us our example who has modeled a life not lived for His own glory but for Yours, not building His own kingdom but Yours, not chasing His own power but Yours. And in Jesus Christ, God, You have given us a Savior who makes this possible even for us. Oh God, right now we meet You. And in our feeble, faltering way, with hands open, we hold up to You that which we have been clinging to and say, into Your hands, into Your trustworthy, good, and faithful hands, we give up our kingdoms. We give up our power. We release all glory that might come to us and instead seek only Your kingdom, Your power, Your glory as You have taught us to pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.